We serve a great God, don't we? And I want to praise the Lord for that. So you could take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, actually for our scripture, we are going to be focusing on verse 18. That will be the text for us for this morning. I'm glad that Pastor Kyle, for our scripture reading, read from the beginning of John to verse 18 because that helps set the context uh, for us. Because we are, are beginning a three-part series on Christ as our prophet priest and king. And I want to do that especially right around Christmas time because these are the offices or the roles of Christ that were long anticipated in the Old Testament. And now with the birth of Jesus Christ, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time, we are focusing on who Jesus is. So I just want to uh, begin our thoughts thinking about this idea of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Do you realize that the words Christmas and Christian uh, Christianity, Christendom, they all have what word in them? Christ. So when you use those words, you're actually referring to a practice of pouring oil on someone's head. Did you know that? When you use the word Christ, Christianity, Christian, Christmas, you're talking about a practice of pouring oil oil on somebody's head. Now, that sounds kind of strange to us, but if you understood the Old Testament and ancient background of this practice, it wouldn't actually seem so strange. Because when a person was commissioned for a very special task, that person would, would be anointed with oil. Oil, you see, was a symbol of God's Spirit. There were some tasks, some roles that people would occupy that were considered so important so special, so, if you will, supernatural, that they required God's presence with that person, God's Spirit on that person. So this oil-pouring ceremony was one way of saying, this person's task is so special, they need God's Spirit on them to accomplish that task. Now, there were three offices or three roles in the Old Testament that were marked by the special commissioning of oil pouring, and that were the, those were the offices of prophet, priest, and king. In the Bible, you read that the prophet Elijah was sent to anoint Elisha with oil. Why? Because Elisha was going to be a prophet. He was going to speak for God, and therefore he needed this special commissioning ceremony, the symbol of God's Spirit upon him, to be able to fulfill this unbelievably important task. You have the same thing with priests. Moses poured oil over the heads of Aaron and his sons. Why? Because Aaron and his sons were commissioned as what? As priests. And as priests, they were supposed to represent the people to God. That is a supernaturally special, important task. And so they needed God's Spirit on them. Another role that was designated by this oil-pouring ceremony was the king. And we read in Scripture, in 1 Samuel, that Samuel anointed David as king. Why? Because the task of king was so special, so important, that it needed God's Spirit to help the person accomplish that task. And so, when the New Testament writers refer to Jesus as the Christ, the word Christ is the English form of the Greek word meaning anointed one. So, what they're doing is they're calling Jesus the ultimate anointed one, the one in whom the offices of prophet and priest and king are all wrapped up into one person, and they're saying, 
This, this peasant Jesus of Nazareth, he is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate priest. He is the ultimate king, and that's why they call him the Christ, the anointed one. So around Christmas, we're celebrating the coming of the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And so this series is going to focus on each of these three roles, one message at a time. Now, the question I want to ask is, why do we even need this at all? I mean, what's the whole point of having a prophet, priest, and king? And let me explain it to you this way. Why do we need a prophet? We need a prophet because our view of God is distorted. Our view of God tends to be distorted. We have these many different ideas about who God is, and we need someone to tell us this is the ultimate revelation of God. You think about the prophet Moses. Moses was meant to be a representative of God. He was meant to be someone who told people truth about God. Did Moses perfectly depict God to the people of God? No, he didn't. He failed. He was a great prophet, and yet at one point, when God gave him a certain command, instead of speaking to a rock, he took his stick and he hit the rock, and he didn't accurately represent God in that case. Our view of God is distorted, so we need a prophet. Here's a second reason why we need, we need this series, why we need a priest. Our relationship with God is disrupted, so we need a priest. We are at enmity with God. We're at a distance from God, and we need someone who could bring us close to God. That's the role of a priest. And finally, our world is disordered, and so we need a king. Our world is disordered. This doesn't take a whole lot of proof to understand. Our world is in chaos. There is enough beauty in this world and yet enough ugliness and misery in this world to communicate that, that the world is not as it should be. It's disordered. We need a king who can make everything right. Another way to think about it is this. We need truth, love, and power. Truth, love, and power. We need truth. And as a prophet, Jesus tells us it like it is. Jesus gives us the truth. He gives us the truth about God. He gives us the truth about ourselves. He gives us the truth about the world around us. That's the role of a prophet. As prophet, Jesus tells it like it is. We need truth. We need love. Because when he tells us how it is, we realize it's not pretty when it comes to us. And so we need, we need uh, love. And a priest is one who can bring us to God. As priest, Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice. And finally, we need someone with power. And as king, Christ will make everything as it should be. So that's the whole rationale behind this series of Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. And I want us to focus our attention on verse 18 of John chapter 1 as we get into our message specifically on Christ as prophet. And the first part of this verse says, tells us that no one has ever seen God. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word this morning. Our Father, thank You that we have the privilege to look at Your Word and understand who You are and what You've communicated to us. And I pray that our hearts would be open to whatever change You would want to do in our lives as a result of Your Word. We know that Your Word is powerful 
We know that it is like a sharp two-edged sword and that it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. I pray that you would lay bare our motives and our thoughts and our intentions before your presence so that we can change and be what you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been said that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. The question I want to ask you is this. What will you allow to shape your view of God? How will you understand what God is like? There was a lady who wrote a book asking children, dozens of children, what they thought about God. And she published this book, and, and I was looking over some of the things that these children said about God, what they believed about God. Minnie, age six, said this, God has long white hair and a white beard and a white face, but he wears blue clothes and blue shoes. Minnie, age six. This is, uh, another child said this, my mom talks to God when we need more money. Manny, age six. From another child, seven years old, God is like a cloud, like a genie. This one I, I thought was pretty clever. God has giant ears so he can hear everything we are saying. Gabby, age nine. This is from Jackson, age seven. I call God when I need help with things, but not my homework, because mom says I have to do that by myself. <laughs> this is from Max, age eight. My father never believed you were real, but my mom did, but then she got sick, and now he prays to you, but my mom doesn't anymore. Why do these kids have such different conceptions of God? And to take it a step further, why are there so many religions in the world that have so many vastly different conceptions of God? Why is it that there are some religions that say there is only one God, other religions say that there are two gods, some religions say there are three gods, some religions say there are many, many gods, some religions, even our faith systems, say that there really is no, nothing specific we call a deity. There's so many different conceptions of God out there. Why is that? Why is it that even for you, your beliefs about God change from time to time? And much of it goes back to this. John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. If we can see God, surely there would be no doubt about what God is like. And even though it is true, as Psalm 19 says, that the heavens declare the glory of God, yet there is enough in this world to make us doubt that glory. Seems like there's enough evidence to make people suspect that there's a God, but not quite enough evidence to silence all our doubts. And the question I want to ask you again is, what will shape your view of God? The fact is, because of the truth of this statement right here you see on the screen, no one has ever seen God, we tend to have in our minds a God blur. This inaccurate idea of who God is. 
and it tends to manifest itself in one of two ways. We tend to either believe, on the, fir- on the one hand, in a God that we can somehow manage, that we can somehow control, that we could somehow manipulate, we could somehow to get to be on our side. Or on the other hand, we can shift into a sort of thinking that, that says this, that, that this is a God that I cannot manage, manage, that God cannot be impacted or affected in any way, and, and that can lead to despair and, and helplessness or even callousness. We, we tend to believe one or those two things about God. Either, either God is a God of, of love and, and mercy and grace and forgiveness or God is a God of justice and and strict, unbending standards, and and we tend to have this this God blur in our minds. Over time, constantly, our focus on God is increasingly distorted. I think this is especially true when we face trials in our lives, that you talk about this lens that should be focusing on God and having an accurate perspective of who God is, but when difficulties come into our lives, that seems to get jostled and out of focus. It could be that you would resonate with the testimony of C.S. Lewis who wrote in a book, A Grief Observed, after the death of his wife. She died from cancer. He wrote this, Meanwhile, where is God? Go to Him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. Then He asks, why is He so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Does that tend to be your experience? What will you allow to shape your view of God? If you don't get this right, like I said before, someone has said the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. If you don't get this right, you won't get anything else right. If you don't have a right view of God, you can't have a right view of yourself, and you can't have a right view of others, and you can't have a right view of your circumstance. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And so here's the question. What will you allow to shape your view of God? And this is where the second part of our verse gives the answer. Although no one has ever seen God, the truth is this. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Who is this? This is Jesus Christ, the anointed prophet, the one who is commissioned to give an accurate and and completely perfect picture of who God is. That's why we need a prophet. A prophet is the one who tells us the truth, who gives us an accurate picture of who God is. There were many, many prophets in the Old Testament, but now with the coming of the ultimate anointed prophet, there is one who gives us the fullest and final explanation of God's character and existence. It is found in Jesus Christ. And that is what our text proclaims. Although no one has seen God at any time, giving rise to the God blur in our minds and giving rise to the fact that we tend to hold in our hearts false conceptions of God, giving rise to the fact that we allow our circumstances to adversely impact our view of God. And yet in Jesus Christ, we have definitively the ultimate revelation of who God is. No one has seen God at any time, but the only God who is at the Father's side, referring to Jesus Christ, He has made Him known. 
Now, I want to explain this because this doesn't just occur in John chapter 1, verse 18. You find this all throughout the, the New Testament, okay? And what, what are we looking at? We're looking at the fact that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. You want to know what God is like? When you think about God, think about Jesus. I'm going to take you to four different passages that prove this point. First of all, a few verses back in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the what? Was the Word, the ultimate revelation, the manifestation of God, the, the logos. You want to know how God reveals himself? He reveals himself by the word. The word was with God, and get this, the word was God. That is why the word is able to give us an accurate representation of God, because the word is God. It goes on, and the word, this is verse 14, the word became flesh. If the word did not become flesh, we would not be able to know what he was like. But John is writing, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. I'm going to focus on this word glory, and I'm going to come back to it a little later. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you remember a little earlier I said that we tend to have this God blur that manifests self in seeing a God that either we can manage or a God that we cannot manage, either a God of love and mercy and forgiveness and dismissiveness, or on the other hand, a God of justice and righteousness and unbending standards, a God of either grace or truth. Jesus reveals God in both his grace and his truth. This is the ultimate revelation of God, not only in the book of John, but also in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, Paul speaks of the gospel of the, you see this word again? The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You want to know what God is like? You have this God blur in your mind? Your circumstances seem to be shaping adversely your perspective of who God is? Well, get this. Christ is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How do we get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? How are we going to understand how glorious and perfect and, and, and satisfying and holy and righteous and loving God is? How will we know that? The face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Here's another passage. This is from Hebrews chapter 1. Again, we're looking at the fact that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. When you think about God, think of Jesus. Long ago, the writer of Hebrews says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But there is an ultimate prophet that has been sent. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by whom? By his Son, the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, by all, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of, you see the word again? The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So when you think of God, think of whom? Think of Jesus. When you think of God, think of Jesus. Here's the final passage I'll take you to. This is John chapter 14. I love this. This is recording a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus, in a very familiar verse to us, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, apparently, Jesus wasn't clear enough because what happens after this is he gets a question from Philip. Jesus has just said, look at it, he just says, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. Uh, from now on, you do know him and, and have seen him. And then Philip says, 
like, like he wasn't paying attention or something. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus is so patient. Philip, have I been so long with you and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If, when you think about God, think about whom? Think about Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. How will your view of God be shaped? What is going to impact and shape and focus your view of the God who is in control of your circumstances? It must be shaped by one person and one person alone, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate anointed prophet. When you think of God, think of Jesus. These passages and many others bring this point home for us, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate Revelation of God. Now, the question I want to ask is this. Let's, let's flesh this out even more. What does Christ do as our prophet? How does this work out? And I have four statements to give you that explain how Jesus is our prophet. Again, this whole series is Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. The word Christ refers to his anointing as to fulfill those roles. What does Jesus do as our perfect prophet? First of all, Jesus shows me who God is, full of justice, full of love. Jesus shows me who God is, full of justice, full of love. We tend to separate those two, don't we? We tend to think of justice on one hand and love on the other righteousness on one hand and mercy on the other. But Jesus shows that in God, love and righteousness are united, that grace and truth can be one. He shows us how this happens as the ultimate prophet and revelation of God. How does he do this? Jesus demonstrates God's righteousness by upholding the punishment for sin. Here's a verse you probably know well. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Did Jesus uphold or relax the wages of sin, the punishment for iniquity? He said, no, this is right. He upheld God's unbending standards of righteousness by showing here's what every sin deserves. It deserves death. Did Jesus Christ relax God's standards? No, He did not. And yet... What does that mean for us? It seems that if God's standards are not going to be relaxed, the wages of sin is death. I am a sinner. What does that mean for me? It means that I deserve what? I deserve death. Here's what happened. Jesus shows me who God is full of justice, that he is a God of justice by upholding the punishment for sin, but also that he is full of love, not just by upholding the punishment for sin, but by taking the punishment for sin on himself. That is this aspect in which the glory of God is revealed. Jesus upholds the standards of God's righteousness, and yet he takes the punishment for sin on himself so that God is revealed as a God of glorious love and truth, grace and truth, righteousness and mercy. It's not one or the other. 
By dying on the cross for our sin, he upholds the punishment for sin and yet takes the punishment for sin on himself. What else does Jesus do as our perfect prophet? I told you it is the role of a prophet to reveal God as who he is. Jesus tells us the truth about God, and he can do that because he is God. And yet Jesus also tells us the truth about ourselves, and it's not a pretty sight. Here's what Jesus reveals about us. Jesus shows me who I am, sinful, but loved. And again, how does he do that? He does that at the cross. He shows me that I am so sinful. How do I know and how are you going to know how bad your sin is? Look what it took to make it right. It took the death of the Son of God. Whenever I'm tempted to trivialize my sin, whenever I'm tempted to say, oh, it's not really that bad, when when you think of Jesus, you are forced to remember that, no, it really was. It really was so bad that to make it right, Jesus had to die. And so how does Jesus the prophet reveal himself? He reveals that, that I am sinful, and yet the fact is he did die for my sin. I am sinful but loved. That I am sinful by what it costs to pay for my sin. That I am loved by paying the cost for my sin. This is what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Listen to these words. I won't have you turn there, but, but listen and, and let the logic of this just impact your minds. Paul says that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. A propitiation is a sin payment. So God put forward Jesus as a payment for our sin by His blood. How did Jesus pay for our sin? By shedding His blood on the cross. Okay, so God put forward Jesus as a payment for our sin to be received by faith. Now, what did God demonstrate when He put forth Jesus as a sacrifice for sin? Here's what God was demonstrating. He was showing His righteousness. This shows how righteous God is. You want to know how righteous God is? He put forth Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. And yet, here's the genius of what God did, so that God might both be just and the justifier of sinners, those who believe in Jesus. He demonstrates his righteousness by offering Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, and he demonstrates his mercy by offering Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, so that God upholds his righteousness as being he's both just and at the same time the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. What does Jesus the prophet reveal about me? He reveals that I am a great sinner, but that he is a greater Savior. That I am a sinner, yes, but loved. That I am more hopeless and, and, and more sinful than I ever dared imagine, but also more loved than I ever dared hope. This is what Jesus reveals about me, Jesus my prophet. But third, he not only shows me who God is, not only shows me who I am, but he also shows me what I should be. And, and this is where what Pastor Kyle was referring to earlier, I, I believe when he was praying before the offering, that, that Jesus Christ comes as 100% man and 100% God, which means this. Jesus shows us God. He's the revelation of God. But he also shows us perfect humanity. 
Jesus shows us what God intended for people to be from the very beginning, and that is living a life of complete obedience. Jesus said that He always does the will of His Father. That's what God created us for. That's what God created us to do. He created us to live in His presence in obedience, joyful obedience to Him. And that's exactly what Jesus did every second of His life on earth. Jesus shows us what I should be. By living a perfect life, Jesus showed us true humanity. But He also shows me that I am not what I should be. But here's the fourth aspect in which Jesus is a prophet. What does He do as our perfect prophet? He shows me who God is. He shows me who I am. He shows me what I should be. But He also shows me how I can be what I should be by trusting in Him. This is Christ our prophet, the perfect revelation of God, the ultimate Spirit-indwelt, anointed one who is the Word of God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He shows me not only who God is, righteous and merciful, who I am, sinful and loved, who I should be, delighting to do the will of God, but also how I can be what I should be, and that is by putting my trust in Jesus, my prophet. by repenting of my sin and believing in Him, by doing exactly the, what the, the, the two people who are baptized and sharing their testimonies of how they repented of their sin and turned in, in faith to Jesus Christ. He is our prophet. This is how He is our prophet. Now, I want to say, I want to address those of you who are believers in Christ and then I want to take a little time to address those of you who may be doubting, skeptical, just wondering, curious, but not sure whether you're really trusting in Jesus. First of all, to those of you who may be just wondering, questioning, you've come in here this morning and you're not really sure this is really what you're all about. Earlier I said that the most important thing about you or about anybody is what you believe about God. And maybe when I made that statement, you're kind of responding. Maybe you didn't actually articulate this in your mind, but maybe you're thinking, okay, that's a very preachery, Christian-y thing to say, right? But I don't even know if that's true. The most important thing about me is what I believe about God. I just want to tell you that, that even secular people understand this to be true. There's a well-known commencement address delivered by David Foster Wallace, not a Christian, not a believer in Christ. But he said these words to the graduating class, and these words resonate true. And I think if you're wondering, is it really true that the most important thing is what I believe about God? Just, just listen to these words. He said this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. If you worship money and things... They are where you tap real meaning in life. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. 
Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are our default settings. That's why I say the most important thing about you is what you choose to worship. It's what you believe about God. Let me ask you a question if you're wondering or doubting, what is shaping your view of God? Because whatever is shaping your view of God is impacting everything else about your life. And so what do you do? The only way you will know the truth about God is seeing Jesus as God's ultimate revelation. And so when you think of God, think of Jesus' sacrifice for your sin. And when you think of Jesus, believe in Him. And to those of you who have believed in Him, let me ask you the question, what are you letting your shape your view of God? Is that God blur setting in in your life? You're allowing something in your life right now to make you think perhaps God's a little distant, perhaps He's aloof, perhaps He's not caring, perhaps He's less than loving, perhaps He's less than in control. Let me urge you, when you think of God, think of Jesus. When you see God as distant, Jesus as your prophet shows you that He is near. If you see your sin as trivial, Jesus as prophet shows us how serious it is. He died for it. If you see your trials as meaningless, remember that Jesus, your prophet, declares that God has a good purpose for them. If you tend to see yourself, as I do so many times, as the center of your universe, Jesus proclaims that only God should be worshipped because only He can satisfy and when you see your life as insignificant, Jesus, your prophet, tells you you are loved. So when you think of God, think of Jesus. Here is the truth. No one has ever seen God. And yet, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. What will shape your view of God? When you think of God, think of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I pray that you would help us as we take some time to observe this table, to remember what you've done for us. And may our view of you be shaped not by our circumstances, not by our own selves or those around us, but that we would spend so much time with Jesus in prayer and in his word that we would know who you are and know you better and better the longer we live. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.